everyone. Welcome to Cafe Bullions. Uh, this fortnight, you're here with me, Susie, Costa, John, and Alex. We wanted to start off today by talking about the player types that we uh, asked about last time and what we were. Turns out we had uh, quite a bit of variety between us here. Um, me being an explorer, adventurer, explorer, I think it's called. Um, mm. Alex being an achiever. Um, John was 80% explorer, which is like full on explorer. That's, that's your <laughs> player type. And what was, was Costa? Costa didn't what do were you it. Costa? I think I was uh, the, the socializer one. What was that one called? Oh, oh that's yeah. right. Socializer, um, yeah, that's right. Is that what it's called? Socializer? Yeah. You're the kind of the people quick, one. Quick, there, quick, right? to, quick to blame, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> you know in the you know in the results yeah, yeah. I from memory though Costa actually gave himself the result well on air last time that is true yeah I, I do he have to br- probably go through an anecdote yeah, you did pick about that. him and his brother I got I got like, I got to go through them properly I haven't done the proper one so that's like me self uh, oh. self selection yeah. there yeah you got to do it because we'll give you a percentage of each one so you yeah. might be like oh look I'm much more killer than I imagined yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's sure. by far my lowest. Costa self-diagnosed himself as. Socializer. I did. It's, yeah, I know what I do. It's me googling my symptoms. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm so social. Yeah. <laughs> we did have a lot of people being socializers in the there. I yep. think um, Emma mm. was mostly explorer. Quite a lot explorer. Mm. Um, Chantel was socializer. There we go. Yeah. Um, and uh, Angus was eighty percent explorer. And then uh, James was explorer, socializer, adventurer, killer. So that's mm. a pretty common one, I think. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. That's quite that a lot cool. of variety there. Most yeah. of us think- seem to be explorers or socializers, which is interesting. Do you think there's like a bias just because it's like the people who will come onto the Discord, Discord and yeah. answer this are generally <laughs> socializers? Uh, I, uh, I think so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> The, the killers, the killers are, are too busy out there. Yeah. <laughs> Doing that. <laughs> just thing. watching. Alright. Um so first thing that uh I think it was Alex was talking about um John McEnroe himself. What's yeah. up with uh, John McEnroe these days? John McEnroe, he's uh as angry as ever, as hot head as ever, so if you're a, a 90s kid like me you, and who didn't like sport, you only knew who John McEnroe was, was from the uh, House of Pain Jump Around song. Uh, <laughs> I'll serve you your beep like John McEnroe. <laughs> I don't want to end how that rhyme goes. but uh, So it turns out John McEnroe is a tennis player. Um, I'm kidding. I know who John McEnroe is. He, he's like... Yeah, Dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So he was, yeah, number one um, for 170 weeks, had a career oh. from 78 to 2006. Um, why we, oh, so if you don't know him from the tennis, you might know him from his temper tantrums. Um, he would have huge meltdowns, trash the courts, swear at the umpires, uh, stuff that, as I wrote here, would uh, pale Nick Kyrgios by comparison. Um <laughs> He was, Wasn't he, he was like in an Adam Sandler movie? I feel like I know him from an Adam Sandler movie. Oh, maybe. What was that? Know. What was that commercial Probably. that they used to have with him? Uh, uh, it was the tennis. No, yeah. Watch the tennis. Chocolate commercial where he would well, be on, on the when you go. You cannot be serious. 
Oh, See, it's I'm, probably him. He, he does say that. Yeah, I feel like there's some kind of commercial. Uh, I was hoping it was Macca's, uh, like, bringing out our new Big Mac and Roll Mac burger. And Mac and Roll. <laughs> it's, the, it's next to the Angry Angus. <laughs> yeah. That would be good. Why are you not in marketing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, I'm please, please not buy that at this point. <laughs> Hire me, please. <laughs> they don't call it uh, Macca's in America. They call it Mickey D's. Yeah, they do. Mickey D's. That's what they call it. Um, but funny you mentioned that, Costa, because he was in a commercial, and that's why I bring him up here now. He was in a commercial for um, the American beer company, uh, Michelob, uh, which is basically John McEnroe played against himself um, via ESPN's augmented reality tennis match. So John McEnroe went up against five versions of himself via augmented reality, via... Uh, Unreal Engine via motion control. This is actually pretty cool. So what they did was they had him on a court. ESPN just did this for a special. It wasn't like an actual um, televised with an audience. It's in a studio, but it's in a tennis court. What happens is, um, so the company behind it, they're called Unit 9. They're a UK company. They do a whole bunch of VR and AR, real-time VFX for other games um, for like marketing for companies. So I think they did one for Heineken and they do it for Nike and stuff like that. They're one of those companies that, um, but really good at that stuff. Um, so they basically what they did was they got a tennis court and they had four tennis ball cannons. It's hard to find video clips of this. So we, I've posted the article here and you can see it in the description um, and you'll see it in there, um, but it's unlisted on YouTube. I think they want to keep it kind of private. Um, which defeats the purpose of it being an ad for <laughs> marketing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, basically what, I, what it is, it's a tennis court with four um, cannons on robotic arms. Think of the extinguishers from the first Iron Man movie. Um, and they're shooting out tennis balls. So what happens is jo- the real John McEnroe serves the ball. Um, and there's a, it's like a 30 foot wide smoke screen. It's just black smoke on the other side of the screen. And through the smoke, these cannons are shooting balls back, which are powered by AI, which have watched hundreds of hours of John McEnroe play tennis. So they know kind of how he would return the ball um, and things like that. So, but then on top of that, on top of the black smoke, it's not only to hide the cannons, it's also to project Mm. a um, fully 3D rendered um, version of John McEnroe. And so he played against five versions of himself. He played against... 1979, excuse me, 1981, 82, 84, and 92. Um, So he would return the ball and then he would see virtual John McEnroe return it. Um, And it's pretty cool because this comes 10 years after Tupac, the Tupac hologram Mm. at um, Coachella. Um, And this is way more of a step up because this is now the hologram interacting. So the, the... even though the character was animated, it was animated in real time to predict where the ball was going and then the relative ca- uh, tennis ball cannon oh, would wow. shoot it. Um, John McEnroe did say, he said that there was, the reason why this wasn't a live event is because there was latency between when he hit the ball and when the ball comes back to him. Um, I guess while you know everything's trying to get into position and stuff like that. So it couldn't actually be an actual match and it was hidden with editing. Um, but it's still such a cool thing because it's combining real-time animation, smokescreen, augmented reality, and AI-powered robotics all in one thing. And it was an ad for beer, basically. Well, at least it was sponsored by a beer company. So, 
yeah, so that's that's that. And um, just, yeah, thought it'd be cool to talk about that and then cool to think about where you three could see practical uses for this um, and where you could see things being in the next 10 years. Yeah, that, that's cool. I just want to mention a quote from the article from uh, John McEnroe. It goes, uh, so it's sort of like a trip down memory lane. The idea of this is it's supposed to be fun. Otherwise, what? I'm actually going to play a match against me in 1981. I'm not sure how that actually works if you thought about it, right? So it's more about the concept than the experience, I guess, to me. <laughs> and he sounds yeah, like really reading it, it's like he, he was like, wait, did they actually make a copy of me? And he's like, <laughs> no, not sure if it's some weird time travel uh, voodoo or something. Sounds like yeah. a Black Mirror, yeah. 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 Um, but like the, the whole thing's really cool though, that mm. they've combined all the different technologies together. Mm. So. And the thing is, is because we're, because, you know, us and the people who are listening to this, we're um, we're techies, right? So we yeah. we want to see the we want to see the person behind the curtain. We want to see the cannons, and we're like, oh, that's how it works, stuff like that. People like John McEnroe or the old um, rock stars that put their likeness into um, rock band or Guitar Hero, and they're like, oh, and this is like you know, fifteen years ago, like, oh, this tech, it looks realistic. Where is it gonna? Mm. They're so not in this world that. Th- this would be so scary to them. He, yeah, you're right. He would be like, what have you done? Like, is that me? Like, when I die, will I actually die? Or am I stuck in this machine forever now? This is like a marketing, uh, you know, it ticks all the boxes. You've got VR, AR, machine learning. Do you know what I mean? Like, from a, mm. from a marketing perspective, it does that. But it's just crazy. I don't know how they've, how do they pr- project that? I don't understand how that works. Is it, is it that it, I just don't understand that. And and then the fact that they can uh, render that in real time and, you know, get the avatar to move to a certain point and then obviously the, the tennis ball comes out from that cannon. Like, that's crazy. This is a really, like, yeah. impressive. It's it's If you think about it, like, that's, like, if you're a sports person, right, like, all those games, all the – every single, like, you know, ESPN-oriented type game, like, they're all, like – try to be as realistic as possible like you know nba whatever whatever right and they have a different version every year so they can be more realistic so they can have the exact mm. players in the exact lineup so it's all about realism in mm. their sports games mm. so like anything like this it's just gonna like i don't know this sports game people are gonna like yeah. really really lose it for this how, <laughs> yeah. and then the thing is how does this, like imagine uh someone who has access to this stadium with this technology and then is like say it's curious going up against nadal you know, they'll feed Nadal footage through to this AI, understand exactly how Nadal plays, and then just practice against someone that would be exactly yeah. like Nadal, like mm. from training. It's a simulator yeah, at that point, isn't mm, it? Yeah. It's such an accurate simulator as well because you're, you're literally like, yeah, hitting the, you know, it's just crazy. It's cool. It's almost merging the world of like regular sports and esports as well at that point mm. yeah. when you're playing up against AI. I, s- I said it's almost uh, merging merging the world of real sports and esports. Yeah, at that point, there's a Adelaide company. Um, Costa would know about mm. them from our days at the uh, co-working space. Um, Athletes AI, mm. which are they're doing that. They're like, but I think it's just you just film it with a phone. But basically, you film yourself yeah. playing a sport, and it uses AI to go. Um, oh, look, you're running too slow up to the ball. 
Um, your arm isn't raised high enough and it sends that data to your coach, which your coach may be in Turkey or Istanbul or oh, wow. okay. Cold Coast, wherever. That's and cool. it sends them the data and the video and they go, oh yeah, this is how we're going to work on that. So it's, it definitely seems to be like in this space, they have been doing what you were talking about, about you know looking at how Nadal and that mm. would play mm. and, and feed that back. You can tell though that they don't really have a practical idea um, of what to do with this next because in the article I think they even just say oh, well there's not a lot we can do with it but they're like um, they just picked they were like you could play golf on Mars mm. um, which is like it's not stretching the tech <laughs> enough of what it yeah. can do yeah. yeah like that's a huge stretch and then golf on Mars thing that's like something you can really do say, like, this, this <laughs> <is> yeah <laughs> did, did you guys played read- a video game yeah. before <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Did you guys read the bit at the end of the article where they're talking about how McEnroe was uh, having conversations with his previous selves during the game? They're saying, oh, uh, yeah. so they're like, uh, he had running conversations with all of his younger selves during the matches. They were mostly sarcastic. I'll pick a couple here. Uh, when the 84 McEnroe said, damn, it feels good to beat you, the 2022 McEnroe said, shut up. <laughs> and. Uh, then uh, when 84 McEnroe said the ball was in, 2022 uh, McEnroe said stop whining. <laughs> then when 84 McEnroe uh, said, oh, that's unbelievable. 2022 McEnroe told the crowd, is that what I used to do? I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever think cool. that um, bad sportsmanship is a younger generation thing, just go on YouTube and look up John McEnroe clips because that whole uh, that was out or that was in, that's a whole, that's like a meme with him of like, he was, he was just a little brat. He was a mm, temper tantrum. Yeah. As I said, pales Nick Kyrgios. He was just the worst person to watch, like full on assaulting, the, not physically, but verbally assaulting the umpires and would be getting banned and, and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So it says here, when the 92 McEnroe, he, who in real life retired after that season, said, yeah, let's go. Uh, uh, he won against the 20. 20- 22 McEnroe, who then threw his racket 40 feet. <laughs> <laughs> so he's having a hissy fit against himself. It's it's um it'd be interesting to see like this uh, technology used elsewhere, like in the museum or something, as a you know as a curator that mm. you can talk to that walks around, like because even that interaction is 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 another whole thing. Just speaking to an AI. Um, yeah. And seeing the AI there in some capacity, you know, whether it's um, smoke screen or whatever, uh, yeah, that's that's a whole other thing that that could be realised as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, or even like to land on what they were saying before about the golf and the moon, but to like recreate landscapes within a place, mm. like you can't realistically travel to Nepal sometimes. So can you have it in a room of being like, this is what. Um, Mount Everest looks like. Yeah. Or- and, and this is always the classic of like AR versus VR to do either of those things where, you know, whether it's you project it in this way or you um, just put on a VR headset that transports you somewhere. I guess this is the yeah. unique one where it's like doing something with a physical, with something physical in, in the environment, like the tennis ball and moving and all that sort of stuff uh, and actually seeing it. Everyone can see the same experience without having to have goggles or anything on that's that's quite unique yeah and the step up between this and the two packet coachella was that two packet coachella was <clears throat> that was pre-recorded mm. um like uh snoop dogg went on stage with him 
but he it was Snoop Dogg reacting to pre-recorded mm. footage where now it's you've got a 3D thing that can be rendered in real time. And that's only come within the last couple of years because of, well, last year because of MetaHumans yeah. um, and Unreal mm. Engine and, and things like um, So it's like you can that, talk to Tupac on stage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the ABBA mm. thing, yeah. yeah. And that's the nugget of it is now we have that hologram. It's how you interact with it. That's weird. Because <laughs> if you think about hole. it, when, yeah, the smokescreen AR is cool, but you you can see that's going to be archaic in the future. Like, mm. we're going to be like, oh, my God. Like, really? You have to have smoke? Like, Yeah, you, know you have to they, hide it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, um, uh, uh, Force Unleashed, the training bots, how they're just the basic robots, but then they've got the hologram over them. Yeah. Like, because that would get rid of the issue where you got here where they're like, oh, it couldn't actually, you couldn't actually do this because there's latency. There's always latency between the cam- uh, between the animation and then the cannons shooting and mm. things like that. Yeah. So you need a replica of a brain connected to whatever is firing. That's like what a human is, right? Like it's, it's always, that's what make it like that highest level of sportsmanship is, um, those minute seconds and mm-hmm. synapses and muscle twitches and all that stuff that you can't get by just oh, a HDMI cable or something like that, yeah. you know, like you need like a something powering it. So that would feel like the next step, you know, like uh, actually having a projection on a thing, you know. Yeah. Mm. That's crazy though. Like once you get that level of accuracy of sports players, like you would have sports companies if they're not already doing it, just running these simulations against each other. So you'd have yeah. like- you know, people in baseball running all their players, all the players across the competition against each other and they'd work out like the optimum a, team. Sounds like, like Moneyball. They wouldn't even like need people manager. anymore. Like just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just have your, just have the league like that. You don't even need people anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's like uh, my brother's obsessed with uh, football manager and that's literally that. Yeah. You're just picking players and, you know, they have certain statistics and a lot. I think a lot of those statistics are actually from scouts going out to see how the players are and because even on those games there's really low level like Adelaide amateur uh, yeah. soccer players on oh, there wow. and they've gone out and scouted sure. this you know how they play and then they've modeled that into a set of statistics and runs this whole simulator it's actually quite advanced when you get into it um, yeah well yeah crazy yeah because those those um yeah those sports matches like yeah baseball and basketball they're like uh, so hollow that's the whole argument is like now they're so hollow because all they're doing is buying what players like the most expensive players that's why the same teams keep winning it's the same with like F1 and stuff like that mm. they can afford the better engine that's why you never hear of Team Haas or something yeah, like that yeah, yeah. ever winning because they're going to always get trumped um, I just linked another article that this reminded me of that I saw pop up today um, so we're doing this one live but um, uh, Marvel has just signed a deal to have Stan Lee um, see, this is for the next twenty his his see, his likeness for weird. the next twenty years. Now this, but is, that's weird. That, yeah, yeah. This is the Marvel line. signed it, not the Who not the not the Stan Lee family. Uh, oh wow! The, this is where the Jeez. line gets crossed. Like, yeah, just, yeah. And 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 I've 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 heard there's been instances now where celebrities. Uh, will actively block anything to be. I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but Ro- uh, Robin Williams in his uh, in his will, genie, specified that no one can use his likeness in any hologram or anything for I think like sixty years or something. So, um, yeah, well. to, or to recreate him, and and then you've got I think James Dean. They're putting James Dean in a movie. 
soon. Wow. Uh, coming out wow. soon as like a starring role. And he's been dead since the 1950s. So, this opens up a whole can of worms. That's crazy. Especially seeing as James Dean died so young mm. as well. Yeah. It, well, it's like, I guess it's like, you know, like um, Captain Marvel, like Nick Fury character. Like, mm. you watch yep. the whole movie and you're like, okay. Like, like I, you know, I wouldn't have even known. Like, if I didn't know, I wouldn't have even known, mm. like, that that was CG. So, mm. it's... Again, we're back to do you even need actors anymore? Yeah. If you, if, especially if you're using James Dean, if you're good enough that you can use footage, like you can make characters who like aren't even around now to 3D scan or whatever. Like, But isn't it so bizarre? <laughs> you, like People are losing out roles. Real actors are losing out roles to dead actors and their holograms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like you're going up against yeah. you're yeah you're going up for like a spy role against uh, like seventies Sean, Sean Connery. Yeah, I know. You're like, what yeah. the hell? Oh How yes, I was I the starring role in that, but I just motion capped Sean Connery. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it also reminds me of another thing, which is, I mean, this doesn't have the the oh, kind of has the moral thing to it, not not as much though. But I remember hearing this years ago in an article and I was just trying to then madly find it um, and I didn't find that, but I found another one that um, I remember seeing it on a last week tonight with John Oliver, I think it was. They were talking about the culture in America around um, sports stadiums, how the city, I think, has to signs these deals with these sports companies. These are like uh, sports teams to build them a stadium that's like multi-million dollars that the, t- that the state can't really afford but they get trapped into doing it i don't remember how it works but then they were like hiding not hiding but they were putting things in the contract they were like you will build us ridiculous things it's like a um like a what do you call it? like a writer for actors and musicians when they go and visit somewhere they were like you will build us a stadium and then when like holographic replay technology becomes a thing we're going to get that in our stadium well i think we spoke about it once and i was oh, saying yeah, about how uh, the stadium had an aquarium running around it. So then I was looking for that article and I found this, another one that just said that they're looking now into holographic games. Cause they're like, Oh, well the pandemic, you know, we couldn't have actual games. So <laughs> let's just simulate games. And how, how weird is that? How much the pandemic changed? So yeah. like, so, but well, that's now like Formula that, one, right? Cause they didn't, they do like, they actually did like esports formula one when they couldn't do it. Cause of the, they had the drivers yeah. racing and they did that like digital racing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, yeah. Uh, and you could play against them or something. Even uh, Z- Zed Run, that's a pretty popular like NFT game uh, in, I think it's built in Sydney or Melbourne and that's virtual horse racing. <laughs> it's all, oh, wow. it's well, all digital wow. horse racing. Obviously it's like- minutes in by the way. Borders on- This is a moment where like, all of a sudden video game developers <laughs> are no longer getting bullied and everyone's like, yeah, you're the cool kids. Yeah. <laughs> we want to hang yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we showed them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or is that us saying it or is this like just holograms of us? <laughs> and you know what it actually would be really cool I think uh, a culmination of all these different technologies. Uh, I th- we've spoken about it before. The G- I think it's GPT three. The yep, yeah. Um, I've seen that people have been taking uh, existing scripts from TV shows and then feeding that into the AI, <laughs> and it generates a new script. So for Stargate, um, they've they crunched all these things in, and it generated a script for a new episode of Stargate. Uh, based on that and they've actually they're doing a, a read through all the actors from the um 
yeah previously on the show and they're going to go through and read the episode uh, as and it's <laughs> been completely so cool. ai generated so it's cool. just crazy imagine wow. seeing actors holographic actors uh, based on a screenplay that's been generated by ai that would just be the culmination of oh all things oh my god have you guys ever like tried gpt3 chatbots or anything like that yeah um, it's it's uh, a, yeah, I, I don't know what your one. experience was. I, I only, the only public one I could find was, it's like a role playing one where it's like, uh, kind of like a game master for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, kind of thing. I've seen that and, one. And so you like, you tell it kind of what kind of world you're in, whether it's fantasy or sci-fi or whatever, and then choose from a few options. And then basically you just start talking to it and it tells you what happens. You just say oh. what actions you want to do, like a text-based video game. And it pretty much just auto generates the world and the response oh, for you. Yeah. Um, and I found it at first it was amazing because it's like it would respond to almost anything I would throw at it. But after about 10 minutes, it, it would start just like, I don't know if it was glitching out or something. And it would just, it would bring up things that a human wouldn't. <laughs> and it just started getting more and more surreal. Um, humans, I'm sick of finding things. Not that it was technically wrong. Technically, it was correct. But it, experientially, it was like, this isn't what a human would do. <laughs> so, yeah. But still, yeah, it's it's crazy how far we've come with this yeah. stuff. Alex, the one that you've posted, I I've seen some videos of that. Uh, OpenAI, the D- Dali, we just type in text and it generates an image. That is that is insane. If you see some videos of yeah. that, the way that yeah. works, oh, wow. crazy. It's it's real similar to what you were saying, um, John, with the uh, GPT three. Um, wow. But instead of language, actually, it mentions it in the article. That's what got me thinking is when you're talking about that. Well, basically, for listeners, it's um, you you say, I want to see what an avocado-shaped chair looks like, and it knows what a chair looks like, and it knows what an avocado shape is, so it combines them. And you can either say, I want a, a realistic one, or I want to see what that looks like in a Scooby-Doo cartoon, and mm. it will make it like Scooby-Doo. What do you think some cool use cases would be for the, like, I know it's pretty general when it's- Ah, not hiring those bloody needy artists, I'll tell you what, they're gone now, we don't need them. Who needs concept art anymore? That's right. (laughs) Except for that one artist that's chained to a desk who has to generate the content. (laughs) Yeah, just types it in. But yeah, what what do you think, you know, some, uh, maybe not in the game development process, but maybe even in games themselves, obviously there's AI in games now and it's gotten pretty advanced, but- yeah, I, I think it would. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on some cool ideas you'd like to see? It's uh, well, the process would be that like, like a the whole thing with all this um, AI is that it can't come up with anything from scratch. Like it's still being fed data, mm. and even in this thing, it's cool on the surface, but it's not AI feeding scripts to an ai and just a, a constant loop it's still a human even if, it, if it's they don't have to create the asset the human is still saying i want to see what an avocado chair in scooby-doo mm. looks like so they the computer can't but you could you could visualize you could feed the computer like i want you to generate a hundred images of random things mm. and then of based, monkeys and then based staring. on that you uh it's it's like a quiz game that people interact with and it's just never ending you don't even have to generate content like pre-generate content as a as a game developer, you know, like mm. I'm thinking about the old games like Buzz. Like I remember Buzz and all those kind of like yeah, quiz, yeah. quiz games. Like obviously all those questions were pre predefined and, you know, pre-designed uh, when they shipped the game. But you could ship a game where it's just literally an AI and you and it just constantly generates new things. <laughs> like that, that'd be crazy. 
Yeah. Hey, Alex, I, I don't know if you remember on the last Booleans, um, you said something and I said, Alex, to quote you from your previous interview, oh, no. I'm now going to quote myself saying, Alex, oh, I'm great. quoting you oh, from okay. the previous interview. <laughs> oh, um, no. Where you said that uh, all creation is just combining things that already exist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. No, no, no. But, but, but I just said that just then though. I still, I still said it. You still need the human organic mind to go, I want to see those three things combined, you know? Yeah, but so but so what's what is then the difference between a human combining things to make a new creation mm. or an AI? Because the A well the AI doesn't have the creativity to say avocado chair in a Scooby Doo cartoon. But it, I've, oh, I've okay, come up right. with that because of life experience to go, Oh, these yep. things three things don't work together. So let's see what that looks like. Yeah. Because yeah. it would just randomly generate words, I guess. But like then also we like we've got like the canon of being human, right? Like mm. we know that, yeah. like that Scooby Doo is cartoony, so you think it's funny to put the, the avocado, like, like the AI yeah. wouldn't know, doesn't have the human, but, like, yeah. the canon. <laughs> I don't know what the yeah, word is, but you know yeah. what I mean. Like, even even from that, you mentioned concept art. Like, imagine just getting one artist to generate a bunch of concept art, throw it through this uh, AI, so it understands, you know, the style and all that kind of stuff, and then you just tell it create uh, a forest with, you know lush trees and uh, a character standing in the middle and it would generate that based on the style that you've predefined, you know, or you've fed in in the initial data set. That's, that's mm. pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think where that's helpful, because for me, we like see uh, AI coming up in all art forms. I see it in like music and stuff like that. And whenever mm. I personally listen to AI generated music, it's like, this sounds cool. Mm. If it does, it sounds cool, but it's like there's no intention behind it, if that makes sense. Intention. Yeah. That's, a, and, that's a good and way. So much that's of art is like tr trying to communicate something. Like the artist is trying to express something yeah. or communicate something. And if it AI is doing that, it, it's just mm, random. Journey. There's like, yeah. there's a Sigur Ross album like that I listen to that's oh, procedurally generated. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's, you know that procedurally generated one? And they just like, oh, all the they did is the, they like- It's named all the coordinates. Yeah, they drove around yeah. the whole outside of Iceland and then procedurally generated music the whole way they were doing yeah. it. And yeah, so yeah. it's named the coordinates. Um, and it's really nice, but it, it just doesn't have like that journey like that you're talking about. Like it doesn't like it doesn't feel like I need to listen to it as an album. Yeah. Like, Interestingly, mm. if you listen to that album as well, because there's the album version and then I think it's the 24-hour version or whatever it was, however long yeah. they were driving for. Um, the album version is their favorite bits from that AI generated oh, 24 hours wow. so it's actually then curated so by it is a human curated as well some, yeah wow. um it's either favorite bits or what was playing at their favorite locations it was, it was one of the two i can't remember do they so. do they cool. dictate like instruments and things like that or is it like what level of uh control do they have they would have I, I mean i haven't read this so i'm just guessing here um they would have probably chosen the sounds that it uses mm -hmm. um and kind of program that in whether it was trained on their own sounds or whether it was just like live synths or whatever um and then the ai in these cases generally picks notes and it generally uh picks like how long a note's mm. playing for and it can kind of raise and lower volume and do all these other things to it um but the actual like kind of sound itself yep. it's generally harder for ai and, and you, do, you so. mentioned like cura like a couple of like people curated it 
so maybe maybe the tool is almost just great as like a brainstorming kind of kickoff you know mm. just generate a bunch yeah. of ideas and then like mm. from there you can curate it as a as a person well i guess i mean that that album uh does work i guess as are if you think about that they were trying to express mm. iceland and their favorite locations musically mm-hmm. um pers- this is personal opinion i have trouble with it First of all, because I didn't actually enjoy it myself, it was kind of like <laughs> felt aimless. But um, yeah, <laughs> so, it doesn't so, it doesn't travel? It doesn't have that journey. Yeah, like, exactly. Albums, mm. Yeah. But secondly, I think when like a an artist is making art or a musician is making a track, you know, it's like every decision they make along the way, depending on how they work, every decision they make along the way sort of reflects the what they're trying to express, whether they're aware of it or not. And when it's AI, you, you could... So, for example, you could use this text-to-image generator and say, you know, I want to express an avocado-shaped chair, which is one of the things. The AI will kind of make all those decisions for you. Mm. And so, it, it is helping you with the communication, but then it's not helping you with kind of the stylistic choices, if that makes yeah. sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah because, like, again, come- too... Oh, sorry, Alex, you go ahead. No, no, no. <laughs> Uh, I was just saying, yeah, it's just the stuff that comes from life experience and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and and it comes from your own experience, comes from your personality, yeah. comes from so many things. Like in this one, I think <laughs> even in this one, you can even mention like exactly here says, you know, the example is the exact same cat on top as a sketch on the bottom and it sketches, you know, it creates the cat and then it sketches the cat on the bottom. Like I know it's not, you know, like you mentioned style, but there is a there is a essence of knowing what a certain aesthetic is when it generates it which is just yeah insane mm. yeah but like it doesn't like too like you might like visualize the thing totally different than that does but then once you see that that's how it is right so like i might say the avocado chair but like i might picture that as like a, a chair that's made out of avocado skin. Mm. But then when I put it into the thing, it comes out that it's actually an avocado bent in half or something like that, like mm. cut out, right? Like, and then and then that's what that is. That It's made it that now. In my head, it is that thing that I've seen, right? It kind of killed mm. that creativity mm. in a little way. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And it's still a, like, it's a biasness. Because, like, have you, guys, have you all seen the, um, that image? It's the low-res image of um, Obama. It's like we we know it's Obama because we have a brain, as, and that's not an insulting way. I mean, like we've seen <laughs> Obama's face before, and we've seen that photo of him, so we fill in the gaps on those low resolution images. But they give it to a computer, one of those programs that are AI um, powered to upscale images, and um, it's a tanned a guy, with a, a white guy with a buzz, buzz haircut, and they're like. The and, and the what dog, the thing was yeah, saying yeah. was the concept of AI can be, uh, how do I say this? Basically, for lack of a better term, racist mm, because yeah. well, prejudice. I should say prejudice because it's not just in that topic area because it's still fed by something. The problem is, is the yeah. data it was fed with was like it was a ratio of something like eighty percent mm. white people to twenty yeah. percent uh, people oh, of color. Yeah. Mm. So That's a it huge was problem. Yeah, so like in the music one you're talking about, like I know that Japanese chord progression is way different to Western chord progression. Like theirs is more story-like and things like that. So it would be huge influence on who's actually feeding that AI. Yeah, 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 that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a whole other huge conversation. Um, But that comes out a lot in one of the big areas is when they use it for insurance 
and mm. they find that um, minorities often get rejected for in AI-based insurance decisions, not because they're trying to be racist or anything like that or uh, prejudice, but because the data that's fed is historical data where people were more prejudiced and minorities were rejected. And so uh, it trains the AI in kind of this historical way of thinking. Yeah. And so it's an entire kind of type of job now, like like specific jobs that are emerging where you basically, uh, I can't remember the term, but it's like you clean the data and try and Unbiased try and it. remove as much bias as possible. Yeah. There's, a, there's a good, <laughs> I saw a good documentary on Netflix about it. I'm not sure what it was called, but um, yeah, it was, it was strictly around that bias in, in AI and algorithms. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I might be incredibly late to the party with this. Is that why it's called Minority Report? Because that predicts things you're going to do after, before you do them. And that's predicting minorities doing things <laughs> then they didn't do it, you know? Like sure. it's, it's well, like that, a Minority maybe. Report kind of thing. That, that definitely wasn't in the movie, but I mean, that was based on a book. So I don't know if the book goes into it. I remember reading that, this, the 30 page one. That makes a lot. There's this book called, um, it's called Data Bias. Uh, no, Invisible Women, Exposing Data yep. Bias in a World Made for Men. And it's like, it's basically that. It's like, you know, all of the statistics on things like, say, where seatbelts sit mm. are based on like a man's body. So yeah. the oh, seatbelts wow, yeah. are actually unsafe for women and, and like, you know, way more women die in crashes with seatbelts than men do because they're designed like that. And just all that stuff about like just how the data that mm. was used to design these things has caused all these problems for everyone that isn't the thing that the data was was inputted in yeah that's Co- coded bias is the the documentary for anyone that's interested mm, that yep. sounds cool um I, and i guess to bring that back to games it's interesting when we have things like meta humans uh which are built on ai i i think um it's worth kind of like yeah keeping in mind what they're trained on as well mm. so for representation if everyone suddenly switches to meta humans is there like good representation of all kinds of people from meta humans or are we going to yeah. suddenly start seeing kind of cookie cutter things across all these games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, to what I think Costa was asking before of like, where could this go in games of the AI and things like that? Um, it's like with, uh, at least uh, from, talking from the art perspective, like we've already got that. Uh, I think art gets it always. Um, but as I said to the to some students, it it never you know um innovation doesn't it, it's a fallacy that innovation would result in like l- lack of jobs like you i'm gonna lose my job because mm. now ai is doing it all it yeah. means is now you can focus on other stuff so back in the day when you'd have to hand you the textures and things like that we have rudimentary but it's still some kind of ai which is um you know like substance painter that says yep. all right this thing's made of metal here is the edge of this box. It goes, okay, here's the edge data. Here's metal. This is what it would look like worn. And you go, mm. Mm, I guess, but let me tweak it a bit myself. Like, yeah. just speeds if up you the just slap the, yeah. yeah, if you just slap the smart material, what they call it, on a on a cube, like the person looking at it will know, like no, and kind of like what John's ears are picking up with the Icelandic music. It's like, okay, you did it, but then you didn't go in and kind of make it your own. You didn't make it organic. Like, I know if I slap that same thing on top, I'm going to get the same result. Yeah. Yep. Mm, but you've got more time to worry about, like, fixing that because otherwise you would have had to make that texture just from scratch that you wouldn't have time to go in and fine-tune it and paint out some of them. Yeah. 
It's actually focus right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you, you get to focus on more minute details. Like uh, the idea of, um, you know, uh, God of War. Like I heard that um, the person who sculpted Kratos spent just a year sculpting Kratos because wow. it, made, it was like, uh, because for the different animation blends of him, like raising the ax, it's not yeah. just like bending the mesh that already there. They sculpt, they have a new one with the muscles, uh, you know, uh, bending in that direction and things like that. So he was just told that's all you're doing is sculpting it. Right. That can only come about because you're not, you're no longer making an engine from scratch. You're no longer yeah. doing all these material mm. stuff from scratch. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah, it's a win, definitely. But there will be that point. I guess that's what we're all thinking about. There will be that point where AI is just too much. Mm. Well, <laughs> the, the, the real, I, I think the real danger in like all these industries, in any industry, is when people kind of let go of the decision-making and they just yeah. go, let's just let the AI make the decision, if that makes sense. Yeah. You, kinda, you always want a human to... You want the AI to be a tool that informs tool. your decision, yeah, right. but you don't want it to ever be the final say. Because yeah. that, that's, that's where like there's the- car crashes and that's where there's, you know, all sorts yeah. of things. <laughs> so. There's a thing with teaching where, like, um, a bunch of people worried that, like, in primary teaching where I used to work that, like, robots would replace primary teachers. But, like, the thing, like, with that is, like, you can learn really well from a computer, but the thing that teachers do is, like, when you don't know where to go to find the thing you need to learn. Like, yeah. when you don't know what you need to learn, tell you what it is you need to learn and then you can look yeah. it up. So, yeah, that's the thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, robots around kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. All right. How are we going to segue this one, John? Uh, <laughs> Man, uh, John's, John's the segue, you're the segue king, John. You got to segue. Well, yeah. Look, yeah, look, I'm reading Susanna's article and it's about um, French officials trying to preserve their purity. So I feel like anything I say would be offensive. <laughs> Over to you, Susanna, oui, to oui. fix this one up. Um, well, uh, did you know that in French, cats don't purr, they say hon honne. <laughs> that one. Yep. So, you know, the importance of honhone cannot be underestimated. Honhone. Just. <laughs> it doesn't even sound a, like it. A, it does kind of, if you think about it, it like this, like, a like the cat. cat's sitting there, right? It's all like, you know, it's all, you know, comfy and warm and it's like, honhone. Honhone. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cat's what there, like, right? Barry White Husky for a voice. <laughs> yeah. They got like, oh, they're twirling their moustache. You know what? Yeah, when Yeah, that's right. When it's when it's, it's evil cat. When it's in the context here. of like a French cat with like, you know, a nice long cigarette, <laughs> like, you know. The Aristocats. He, yeah, the Aristocats. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, okay. Abraham here's the segue. If if uh, our AIs are trained on our interpretation of French people, we're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Um, speaking of French, interestingly enough, the French. This article says that the French um, government has been looking at how they're talking about gaming in their society and the words that they used. Uh, and it turns out that, like, quite often when you translate stuff into French, they kind of use the English word or the anglicized word for things. So they were using like. Um, you know, they, they don't like to do that in France, so they like to come up with new things to, to do and use instead. So they were a pro gamer. They were saying uh, Jeanier professionnel instead of 
pro gamer because like they you know there's a french version for it um but then some words like streamer are really hard to translate because they don't have like a french word for streamer so they're calling it like um they didn't know kind of what to do so they were using like the english word and the government came out and said um no way like we don't want anyone using these english words for things it's polluting our language and it's causing issues so we just you know we want to preserve our language we don't want these words being used you can't use words like streamer you can't use these terms in any government documents so they actually um came out and said that uh, it made an official journal, an official journal entry in the French government records that says that um, government workers cannot use these terms in a document. It's legally binding. And from now on, they're not to use those words. They must use uh, the French equivalent or consult to create a French equivalent if one doesn't exist. Isn't half of English French anyway? (laughs) Yeah, that's... Yeah. Well, like, I wanted to know what you guys thought, because I was thinking about this. And first I was like, oh, that makes sense. They're trying to preserve their culture, whatever. But then I was like, okay, but like, they've got this culture that they've had. But also like, for gamers, that is our culture, right? Like those words, and and, like streamer, like, if you're a French person and you want to look up streamers, if you look up whatever the equivalent is, you're only going to find French streamers. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a really good point. It's really internalizing it. And also too, like if you're looking at government policy, if they're doing a policy paper or if they're academics, they're not gonna be researching those things across the world either. So their policy is just gonna be informed by yeah. Their country over and over, and like I don't know. What, what do you guys think? I don't. I don't what? Ha- yeah, I was gonna say I don't. I was gonna say I don't agree with the the like the government essentially uh, mandating what you can write. Like when when is the, when does that ever happen? Like when has the Australian government said you know in the context of Australia uh, you can't use these words in any documents? Like that's bizarre to me. Just just that as a fundamental thing is 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 crazy. And then. Obviously, um, you know, in the context of of games, uh, just like you mentioned, Susanna, that the culture changes as as things go on, and it seems like the government is taking the approach of attempting to uh, preserve it without, yeah, without growing it in any way, and even even making French variants of it, like you're you're still locking it off from the rest of the world because in this day and age it's not it's not like in the in the 60s and you know 50s like globalization's a huge thing people are interacting with people from different languages across and to have mm. common words like that 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 makes sense even if it's if the if different if the french if someone in france came up with a word and then it got propagated to the rest of the world we would probably say yeah. the French version of it, just like every word yeah. in in you know. There's a lot of words like just like John mentioned in our language that are derived from from French. You can't try to mandate something to be uh, different in in that language. I think it's just a bizarre policy. I think yeah, and some of them too, bizarre. like globalization. Yeah, some of them like the streamer, the new word that they're using for streamer is joie animatia indirect. On direct, I, excuse I mean, my terrible. Yeah, like, but like that's really long. No one's gonna go yeah. sit there. Like you're on Google, you're like, all right, joye animator internet. You're just like streamer. Like, but see, the, yeah. the, br- the brilliant thing is, like, you could be talking to me, you could be French, and you'd say streamer, and I would know exactly what you're talking about. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. games the are global. Like, yeah. That's see, right. like a word like streamer has come up organically through culture. Like our government didn't invent the word yeah. streamer. Mm. Otherwise, if, if it was the government inventing it, they would call it something long like that as well. And so it's like, yeah, I understand the, the French government wanting it to come from the French language, which is, I mean, that has its own problems if they're not allowing other languages in. But I guess my point is like, it almost has to have happen organically. Maybe their version, uh, I can't say it either, <laughs> unfortunately. Je <laughs> um, video and nuage. Uh, but um, that's, okay, a starting point. But the I guess the word that will be used, I would imagine, would come out then organically by the people who actually do it. Um, and it will be a short word. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, which it's the, the, the audience will that it's intended for are going to dictate what it is. Mm. And as you both said, like so many of these words we didn't see coming out, which now means mm. something to us, you know? Um, and uh, like, who are the, uh, where is it? The French culture ministry. So some stuffy government organization is saying the government who probably never gets involved in video games anyway, has to use these words it'll be remember yeah. when uh, um, after 9-11 america was like they're not french fries anymore they're freedom fries and that that caught on for a whole two seconds uh, but the only difference between that and this is this is now legally mandated just saying you can't man this this is what doesn't I like i don't understand you can't mandate it how many words they can only mandate like, it in the government yeah policies, yeah that's right, right. so yeah, again yeah. it's gonna be like it's I, I feel like it's another case of like you know, like, remember what, when Nike made their shoes and they said, have a good game? And I love that <laughs> yeah. story. But it's like, no no kids buying them because, like, we're like, everyone's like, what? okay. like I, I don't what? know the story. I don't know the story. <laughs> oh, I feel like I was telling the story. Um, Nike made these gamer shoes and on the side it said, have a good game. <laughs> oh, so like GG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Except, and you're like, Except All no right. one says, have a good game anymore. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like using it as, like, target demographic. Yeah. like lessons for my <laughs> students because it's like completely just missed the mark there mm. and th that feels like that's what this going to be like the the french government's going to be using terms like have a good game and like so people the young people reading that are going to be like well this doesn't apply to me because this is like yeah that's right not can, relevant yeah can, can i also point out the irony that the french watchdog is called academy francaise or uh, however you say uh, the French I'll word. say, um, yeah. Academy, which comes from the Latin word, academy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so also, it's, it's not like the language hasn't already yeah, come like from this or incorporated. Board. English and they're French like are both that's obsessed Latin. Like they both derive from yeah. Latin. You can't yeah, that's all right. of a sudden say. But that, that yeah. Well, So academy what's the Latin word for streamer? <laughs> Was, wasn't real. <laughs> <laughs> that Academy Francais, they're like, that's literally their job. They're like a government body that is just dedicated to preserving language. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know many countries that have that. Like, I don't know. They, so, uh, see what here it says uh, esports in France is Je Video de Compétition. Where if you type sports in a French translator, it's des sports. It's just sports. <laughs> like that is on okay. them that they decided to make it more difficult for themselves. This is this is you know that picture of the guy uh, on his bike and then he sticks a, a stick in his own yeah. tire and then he complains someone he yeah. blames it on someone else. Well, they yeah. decided to call esports je video de competition. They use the same word sports. E is just what electronic. I, I see what yeah. they're trying to do, and I think there's got to be a better way to do it. 
I, I don't think yeah. this is the way. That's, it, yeah, it's, well, it's kind of like pe- if you people read like sh- language, so yeah, there's, there's like Shakespeare it, purists, right? Who are like, we should never change like, <laughs> like we should all still speak like, you know. Oh, that would and it has to be done with an actual skull. I've heard that. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's wild. But, um, but those yeah. people, like you know, they're, they're, there's always going to be purists, right? Like, but language is so different that we can't. Language, like, yeah, when, right. when like Costa said, yeah. if we're globalizing, it's not going to be possible, right? It's going to be a yeah thing yeah. that yeah well even even um in greek people like i just looked up streamer and it's just streamer which is like the same you <laughs> I know thought it'd be yeah. streamer <laughs> streamer yeah. but but uh, yeah. i i've i've come across a lot of that in in greek um you know english words just made to sound greek and it's fine because anyone that hears it they know exactly what you're talking about even though it sounds you know they've made it in their own way um, it's still the same word at the end of the day, and so yeah, it's mm. it's language is always a combination of other cultures. Mm. It's never just like you can't just mandate French words to be created. Like it's just like John said, like words that that the French use in their official titles and things like that. They didn't originate in France. They originated elsewhere. I think um, I was looking this up recently because uh, shampoo. Is is pretty much the same in Italian, but spelled differently. So they because they don't have an sh to make a shirt, but it's champ for them. It's champo. So I was like, oh, it must be an English word that they're trying to think. That's a, a Hindi word. Oh. It means to press. Oh, is it really champ champo or something Shampoo. like that? So yeah, like, wow, that's cool. Get on board, France. Like we're all cool with it. I think, I think in, well, in Greek, it's just <laughs> it's um, uh, sapuni. Sapuni. Oh, yeah. like soap, like soap. yeah, like soap, like soap shampoo. Yeah, yeah. so it's bizarre. Yeah, there you go. And the the etymology of the word stream, from which streamer comes from, comes from Old English, and then comes from Germanic before that. Um, so, it's yeah. also possibly combined from Dutch and German. And that and that's oh the beauty God. of language. It's just a combination of different cultures coming together. Mm. <laughs> you you were like this, Costa. Before that, it comes from the Indo-European root shared by Greek. Ryan <laughs> to flow. <flirt. laughs> <laughs> I can't stop thinking about uh, my big fat yeah, Greek wedding. There's a certain urge for any word, and I'll tell you every Greek. There is a certain urge for them not to say uh, that it all, all came right. from Greek. T- t- tell us, Costa, what, what's the Greek uh, word uh, for kimono? <laughs> it's uh, from uh, this. What does he say? It's from uh, <laughs> it's like, the ah, Greek word kimono. Sh- himon- comes from himona, the Greek word which is uh, which is winter <laughs> because they wear ro- you know robes in winter. I don't know. It's there's always there's always some way you can tr- trace it back. <laughs> it I wonder what's going to happen to our languages. Like, are they all going to merge? Is it going to be like Firefly when everyone speaks like yeah. in English? Like, <laughs> well, that's like uh, I was playing uh, Star Wars: uh, Knights of the Old Republic, and that's where I first found out about how English is in Star Wars is called Galactic Basic. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah basic. Yeah. basic. <laughs> and and there's a cool line in there uh, from one of the. Aliens, I'm doing air quotes because even though they're aliens, they call themselves aliens or the non-humans. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, the the main character's like, oh, wow, you speak Galactic Basic. And the alien lady's like, well, actually, all aliens speak Galactic Basic, uh, but they often choose to speak their own language instead. And I thought <laughs> that was just a cool little like- That's cool because it's- Nudger, like it's, it's, non-English speakers. Yeah, and, that's right. But they choose to, to, to still um, speak their own language. I, I think yeah, I think there's right. there's definitely a place for preserving um, you know languages that are because there's definitely. a lot of languages at the moment that are endangered languages that aren't 
uh, will, will end yeah. up not being spoken unless it's preserved or unless yeah, it's taught are. and that kind of stuff. So there is a place for it's that. That's why I'm learning Welsh. There's got to be a purpose, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Are you learning Welsh? I am. How long have you been learning Welsh for? Uh, not very long. I picked it up again a few yeah. months ago. That's awesome. Yeah. What made you want to do it? Uh, I... Oh, I think did I tell you you all that my uh, my mum recently found out that her dad wasn't her bio dad and her bio dad was a Welsh guy. So they were yeah. like, "Turns out you're way more Welsh than you thought you were." And I was like, "Oh, cool! I was learning Welsh. I might pick that back up yeah. again." <laughs> so it reminded That's awesome. me. That's so good. Yeah. But um, when I so like it, it when you go to Wales, for our <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. can you believe it? <laughs> when you go like when you go to Wales, because like I'm from like right near Wales on the border, so I go back to Wales a lot when I visit family. And when you go to Wales, like a lot of people there still speak Welsh, like in shops and things like that. You can go in and people so it, people are like it is having like a revival. Like people are realizing that oh, you know. I think it was the awful English that tried, you know, stop, tried to stop mm. it and mm. made it awful like not to speak it. But now people are bringing it back, and it's like a resistance. Like mm. we've got this culture, let's let's do it. So there, there's definitely a place for languages, like yeah. Mm. But yeah, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? Mm. For sure. No one's trying to preserve Calabresi. <laughs> we speak a garbage <laughs> language. <laughs> Alex, you're meant to be the one pioneering it or like fighting for yeah. it. Yeah. Right? Uh, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the equivalent, I tell this to everyone, the equivalent of where we're from in Italy, what they speak of what Italian is, is like what American movies make fun of, like the country of how they speak. You'd be saying you want to preserve that. Like they don't have words for a lot of things. They just kind of just make it up on the spot or, or like. <laughs> what well, just sounds. Well, like you know, like there's there's all the all the all the memes about and all the jokes. Yeah. Like there's no garage. There's the gurugio. Yeah, just how you would imagine it sounds. They're gonna say things like that because I don't have words for it. What's the, what's the word for streamer? <laughs> streamer. Well, yeah, yeah, it would be something like that. Um, streamio. Streamugio. Yeah, streamugio. Yeah, it, that sounds Russian actually. Streamugio. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. They, they, they just wouldn't say. It. They would just. They would just say the English one. Mm. Like, I'm pretty sure they don't have a word for roof. They say roof for. Like, they just add an O to the end of it. Like, I feel like we need to round this out. Like, what what would be the Australian stereotype for streamer? What would we call it? The pisser. <laughs> streamer. <laughs> they would, you'd have to go with something that rhymes. If you do it the old-fashioned way. Mm. Oh, yeah, the old, like... Like dead horse being tomato sauce. Um, <laughs> dog and bone. The telephone. Dog and bone. Oh, yeah, the telephone. Frog and toad is the road. Gonna hit the frog That's and toad. a tough one. So, streamer. Streamer. Dreamer. Dreamer. He's a bloody dreamer. <laughs> He's a bloody dreamer, that one. <laughs> That's so funny. Tell them they're dreaming. Tell them they're dreaming. Tell them they're dreaming. <laughs> Speaking of dreaming, uh, Cost has been dreaming about video games uh, and being oh, a game designer. Oh. <laughs> so I came across uh, this article uh, actually through, is it Gamer Sutra? I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. That yeah, Gamer Sutra. Gamer Sutra. Yeah, How say they, they rebranded though. They're called <laughs> something else now. Uh, game developer, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, game developer. But, but I, yeah, they have like an offshoot uh 
website or I don't know, I don't know if it's owned by them, but it's basically like a career guide for for game developers. Um, and I saw an article on there around uh, things you can do right now to become a better game designer. Um, and the three different things that it mentioned. So number one, um, play more games. So by playing more games, you learn about the different game mechanics, uh, which mechanics tend to work well together and how to integrate theme and mechanics together. Um, and it also talks about, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, trying games that are heavier or lighter than you would usually play, playing older classic games as well as modern games, and just really, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone to, to try different things that you wouldn't typically play. Um, and also play good games and bad games, so games that are bad and just understand why the games are bad and, you know, classifying it as sort of good or bad is subjective. Obviously, some people will find it, uh, some mm. games that you find bad, good and, and so forth. But just I think it's it's more around finding the nuances in, in game design and just seeing what works well with what you're interested in and what works, what doesn't work well as well. Um, the second lesson is apply game design learnings. So obviously when you're, studying uh, game design or anything like that you're reading a lot you're watching videos you're you know reading articles um, they have a lot of tips and that but really to get you know put things into practice essentially you know don't fall into the trap of researching something to death without actually doing any of the work um, and that's just with anything but obviously uh, applying your learning uh, in context helps to improve yourself as a game designer. Um, and then it has some examples. You know, Michael Jordan didn't become one of the best basketball players by just reading books about basketball. He played basketball. And, you know, Thomas Edison, Jamie Oliver, they didn't become the best at their practice without actually putting things into practice. Um, the th then the other one, the last one is also uh, playtesting. So, Playtest the the playtesting process is so important. Um, you know the only way to turn your game from broken to good to great is by playtesting with others. So this will give you data and feedback to understand what's working in your game and what's not. Help you identify problems and sometimes even the solutions as well. Um, and the reason I found this interesting, I just I want to know your thoughts in each person's field or specialty. What is it that you find? helps you become better at what you do. So John, music, uh, Alex, 3D, web, uh, Susie, narrative, game design. Wh what do you all find helps to help you become better at what you're doing? Um, and do you agree with this list as well? That's the other thing. Yeah, I have definitely. one objection. Uh, <laughs> Thomas Edison didn't make his inventions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I knew that was going to pop up. I knew. All right, sorry. Move on. <laughs> Tiptoe around that. Thomas, one of us okay. is going yeah, to Tesla go. right going. there. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but but the other two, Jamie Oliver, uh, Michael Jordan, yeah, great great people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Jamie Oliver butchered an Italian restaurant. <laughs> Italians hate. Don't like Jamie Oliver. <laughs> Why can't it be Elfie? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, okay, Michael Jordan, at least, I'm pretty sure that was him playing NBA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not not um, Yeah, and this, this kind of goes back to, um, number two goes back to the AI thing of like, apply game design learnings from different areas. So don't get, don't get it just plugged in from the same source. Mm -hmm. Like, it's your life experience that makes up what you do. Yeah, definitely. I, like, uh, with art, um, three and two are more important than one. Um, as in 
uh, like so apply art learnings let's paraphrase it from apply game design learnings and play more games so you're gonna you know expand your palette you're gonna see what other people have done so you go oh i didn't didn't think about that i didn't think about those kind of colors being used in a game apply game design learnings um like literally anything that you do in a day can be turned into a video game so you know there's there's so much to be taken out of out of everyday activities to um you know that even from you costa as a ux person right like you'd be looking at since starting ux i sure i'm sure you overanalyze everything now like in your house and everything and you're like why well, they do it like that yep. or oh that's pretty cool it's cursed. like yeah <laughs> it's I mean, like in 3d like you see everything in wireframe or normal maps like you just yeah i just breaks that down yep. but like yeah definitely i definitely like number two to apply the learnings from like anywhere um i remember one of my lecturers uh katie kavanagh used to say that like cause she has a uh, similar to you Susie, just has like loves to collect old things um and but she loved old loves still old books um and like going into um you know random hole in the wall bookstores not not the pop-up we're closing down here's 50 copies of uh the subtle art of not giving a whatever um like the ones that deal with these unique books that you're not finding on google and stuff like that and you know my art school used to promote that just being like look at those things because that's a source of inspiration that no one else is going to get it's only going to be you so you're not going to find that by Googling it, you know? So yeah, definitely, definitely t- uh, the first one, play more games and apply the learnings. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The application helps a lot. And then um, the, I mean, there's so much to be said about it uh, and there's a lot more than three points, I think, for getting better at your craft. Mm. But um, as you practice and you get better at it uh, and you make really crappy things, you you do kind of get a better sense of what to okay I'll I'll talk in terms of music mm. so as as I've experimented and made things and tried out different instruments and tried how they work together and more often than not don't work together it's kind of helped me train my ear a bit more to be able to distinguish those key instruments or key melodies or whatever it is when I'm then going and listening to other music um, and that is probably one of the best teaching points for me is that like so currently i'm interested in doing drum and bass which is actually quite counterintuitive to my natural way of doing it um but as i and i'm working on a track while listening i've created a playlist of all drum and bass that i like while working on this drum and bass track hitting my head against the wall half the time going why doesn't it sound the same Uh, but as i keep working on it slowly and then going back and listening to the music i'll gradually hear new elements come out Um, so just recently i started hearing that a lot of drum and bass has like a crash symbol or other symbols kind of going almost mm-hmm. constantly throughout the track, um, which I've never actually noticed before. Um, it, it's it's all these kind of little details and stuff that actually do make a difference. But as you practice, you can pick it out a lot easier. So because you're getting so mm. used to it that you're yeah, seeing that's right. all these elements pop up. That's a that's a really yeah. important thing. Just yeah, and yeah. You, you kind of have a way to categorize it in your head as well. Mm. Whereas it's like yeah. you couldn't pick out an instrument that you've never heard before. <laughs> if that, I mean, unless it really stands out, you go, what is that? But most of the time, you need to have almost heard it separately on its own to then 
uh, identify it when you're hearing it oh, in a track. In the mix. So, um, okay, yeah. I, I want to divert you just for one sec. Yeah, yeah. Because you just reminded me of something. Suzy might know this. This is a deep one. Uh, and it's me, so I'm going to bring up Springsteen. There is a, there is, <laughs> there's a thing in, in music. It's called a moose call. And I didn't know what the hell I was hearing. It's on Springsteen's track, New York City Serenade, which I told... Um, uh, 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 brain fart. Um, Holy night music. Chris, Chris Larkin. Chris, Chris, Chris Larkin. Larkin. I was continuing yeah. the last name. Was New York City Serenade. There's this sound that goes on in it, and it goes. Ooh. It just sounds like that. It's just this constant. <laughs> and it's called a moose call. And I'm like, what the hell am I hearing? It's what happens is I had to watch a video of it live. It's you lick your thumb and you run it across a bongo drum. And it makes a it makes that sound like wow. it's so counterintuitive because yeah. you said like you'd have to hear that instrument before because you're yeah. right. And when I didn't know what that sound was, my brain was like, "No, oh, we're not having this." Like you can't. Yeah, when you find it out, it can be crazy. I say the original Godzilla. I mean, this is tangent, but original Godzilla roar was uh, the back in the fifties or whenever that came out. The original Japanese composer created it by getting a. I think it was a double bass, one of the larger cello-looking things, getting a latex glove and covering it in like va- Vaseline or something like that and just... Oh, tree sap. That's what it was. And just running his hand <laughs> down oh, <wow. laughs> this double bass and it created the iconic roar oh, of Godzilla. Wow. Yeah. Not, not that you'd be able to identify that without reading about it. But yeah, <laughs> still. Yeah, yeah. So many weird things like that. Hey, like yeah. that. Hey, this is like weird guy from the 60s, Scott Walker, this musician. And like, him, he's like really important to industrial music because like he, yeah. he started some of that stuff. And like, there's this one song where like apparently he couldn't get the sound he wanted. And the story is that he just went outside like of the studio where he was and grabbed the dustbin and brought it back in and started hitting the dustbin. Yep. <laughs> and, like, awesome. and, and then he put it in the track, started shaking it, put it in the yeah. track. And then like that was really important to industrial music wow. yeah. yeah yeah right and who would that's know so it's cool. a dustbin yeah, yeah. That's, um, a, that's a frank lloyd wright thing about that isn't it like uh you take elements if you're trying to create something you would take the element from that spot like so like with him like he was oh, yeah. industrial yep, yep, so yep. use industrial things mm, so frank yeah. lloyd wright yeah. he did falling water so he took rocks from the area to make it look natural. Uh, awesome that's a like cool yeah. cool way to do it like again like with the thing that you were saying about these lessons costa like they're they're really cool um and alex uh, we all started talking about the life thing like applying the life stuff and Mm. that's huge like i I think game design like the biggest thing i would say is like bringing your experience to design or like and if you're designing for somebody else immersing yourself in that Mm. but and like there's this really there's this really cool story like this this game designer really like jesse shell he tells this story about like He's writing this textbook about how to design and he brings all these lessons that he learned back to his life. And he talks about like when um, when you're designing, there's a thing called analysis paralysis. And it's like if you put yeah. too many options in, your player's like, oh, my God, I can't choose. So they don't choose any. And he tells a story about like he used to work in an ice cream shop at Disney World. And people would come in the shop and they'd be like, what ice cream should I get? And he'd be like, well, we've got this one, this one, this one, and this one, this one. He'd give them a whole heap of choices and then they just kind of stare at him. And then he was like, and I figured out pretty quickly that if I gave them two or three choices, they'd choose. But if I gave them like five, they would like freak out and then basically go back to step one and have to like identify two or three themselves. Mm. So it's like, it's like that step. And I really love that he ties all that back to his life. Cause like everything you do, you, you learn something that then when you 
designing or creating, you're, you're bringing it back whether or not you know it. You, yeah. You're putting that into your work, right? Yeah. Do, do you guys find, based on that though, that whole thing of like, it you find it harder to enjoy that medium then or you don't enjoy it in the same way because you find you're constantly analyzing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, I've, yeah, I pull up every game. But I, I, like, I think like pretty early on I learned that there's good and bad in everything, yeah. right? So, like, even my favorite things, there's stuff, like, there's games. My favorite games, there's stuff that could be improved, right? And even, like, games that I've played that have heaps of problems, there's stuff in that that's good. Mm. So, it's, yeah. it's more a whole, isn't it? It's, and it's always, like, because you're viewing it from externally, but when you're in it, when you're developing it, there's there's always trade-offs that end up, yeah. you know, it doesn't mm. doesn't dictate design, but there's trade-offs that, that happen that end up changing the experience in some way than what would be yeah. the super, super ideal, I, I would say, especially when you've, you know, but you're balancing time and all this kind of stuff on a project as well. Um, yeah. It just, yeah. You can always look back on something you've done and say, I could have improved that in this way or that way, but- at the time, yeah, it totally. felt right because of the conditions. Based on life experiences. Like, yeah, yeah. No, I, I had no. this game that that I, that I made like um, probably about 10 years ago now. And it was basically um, what happened is you got a card and it had a word on it. Mm. And you had to get your phone and you had to OK Google. And you had to say one sentence. And then that you had to have the result come up as the word on your card. Right? But you couldn't say you couldn't say the word in your search. Okay. Um, and it like it worked pretty well. But then I tried to play it with one of my friends who had iOS, right? And Siri is totally different. <laughs> so it's out. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so all of a sudden the game sucked, right? Because <laughs> Siri didn't use Google search. So it was very different design. So like now I think they're more similar. So a game like that would probably be more successful now. But back then, because I'd never mm. tried anything on iOS, I didn't know that until I playtested it. So that's life and playtesting. Mm -hmm. So that's lesson two and one mm -hmm. <laughs> on yeah. the list. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Wait, so, so you, you so you, you made this game for, like with the wait. Let me get my head around that. You made the game with the intention of you say you. So yeah, you have to get the Google result, but don't say the word directly. Yeah. So you draw a card, and the card like might be like ice cream, right? Yeah. Um, and then you have to say something to your phone, like um, you know. Uh, cold and it's delicious and you're trying to get it to say ice cream yeah, without saying cool. it or you might that's say something like ben and jerry's like you can you can be creative with what you say but you want the your phone to give you back the answer it's ice cream or like i'll help you find ice cream or you're thinking of ice cream or like anything that has this, the the word ice cream mm. in the sentence and then you you, you get the point yeah, but yeah, yeah. The Siri one was like super. Siri's not great. Out, like, at, yeah, Siri's not great at that. It was stuff. like, I'm sorry, I don't understand yeah. that to basically everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of the Wikipedia game where you. Did, there's I was a, thinking that. Oh man, tells I was you get to ice cream and will drop, and then it drops you at like Queen Elizabeth II, and it's like, how do you get to ice cream from Queen Elizabeth II? Yeah, yeah. that's my brain though. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. <really> nice. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, why I love yeah, that yeah. game. It's right. just like you're just jumping yeah. from one to the other. You're going crazy. Uh, some people got really good at it. There's like a, I, I don't know how to do it, but it, you kind of like, I think it's you try to go out and find a country, and then when you find a country, you, you can, can generally can, always yeah. find your way to whatever you're looking Borrow for. down into what you're yeah. looking for. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's it. Me and my mate used to play, uh, we had this game where we'd just do it with each other. It'd be like, uh, you'd say like Samuel L. Jackson and um, Lawrence Turney. 
this is old actor uh and then you'd have to link them you'd have to you'd sit there for like f- a few minutes and you go all right similar well that's actually a very easy one you say um because they're, they're oh, all yes, both in of course well they're, they're both in quentin tarantino movies um so you, you link them that way you go you go samuel jackson was in um uh this movie with that person that mo- he was in a movie with this and was in a movie with this and that's what that what you're just saying this reminded me of the bacon number kevin yeah uh, it was three of, three degrees of bacon yeah, d- yeah. degrees of bacon <laughs> yeah. everyone is related to kevin bacon <laughs> in some way by three connections <laughs> yeah yeah what about you costa with the uh what what three uh, the three things yeah you, i mean i, you, I would say that they're all like you know the the process of research uh applying what you have found from research and then testing testing out designs like these are all key things from the design process and uh whether it's immersing yourself in just like susie mentioned if you're designing something for someone in you know you can do techniques like uh ethnographic research to look at how a certain person uh is in their environment uh, if there's problems you're trying to find in that environment really depends on uh the kind of yeah the kind of uh, outcome that you're looking for it's really good uh if you're doing if you're conducting in like human centered design and you're trying to design from for a certain uh personal demographic there's so much you can do from a research perspective to really get in the mind and and involve those people uh in in your research as well um and yeah i think all of these apply for for design specifically um yeah and and yeah the fundamental like play testing just that concept of testing something out especially when you're designing for a certain audience just to get thoughts because you make decisions that are uh yeah you make decisions that are in the best interest of that audience, but you always have to test that out and, and see if that's meeting the expectations. Um, and yeah, having, having just done playtesting for a game, there's things that you don't, you know, you might pick up on beforehand. And then when you test it out, you're like, yep, this is a hundred percent been confirmed. Like this, this idea that I had about this, let's say this piece of UI on this game, uh, not having enough information or having too much information, it just gets validated and it's as simple as doing a playtest of getting a handful of people to run through it and you know noting down that those issues have have happened so yeah these are all really good uh, things to to hone your skills as well so yeah do you, costa do you ever just like in the real world do you ever like open a door and go yeah, that was a really good user experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, Alex and I were playing a game last night and Alex was explaining to me how to play the game because we just uh, we just jumped into the game and Alex was basically being my tutorial. And I was like... Uh, which game was this? Uh, Phasmophobia. And I was Phasmophobia. like... It's like a multiplayer game. So Alex was in the game literally telling me, yep, crouch here and then pick this up and then do this. And I was like, okay. surely there's a tutorial for this. Or like we were looking at some element in the game. I can't remember what it was. Um, I think we were looking at, oh, you were trying to figure out how to um, cycle through a camera on the on yeah. the wall because essentially you set up cameras and then you can cycle through them or you can cycle through the, f- the it's like a breakdown of a map and you can cycle through the floors. Alex is like, how do I do this? Like, I've been trying to figure this out. And then I saw this big button right next to it and I clicked <laughs> on that and then it worked. And I was like, that is bad UX. Like, because yeah. every other thing you mm. click on the screen to do and then this one is just randomly yeah. this like, 
okay. You know, and, and the button yeah. isn't even next to it. No, it's, it's like not. next to it and it doesn't look like it's a button. on the screen next to it. It doesn't look like a button either. It's like this big white Panel. box. Yeah, if it was like a red yeah. button, it would look like a button and people would want to press it. So They should probably learn about affordances. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then, yeah, Costa was like, there should be a tutorial. And the other guy playing with fish was like, yeah, there is a tutorial. <laughs> we we, I just it. didn't get you to do it. And we're like, <laughs> I'm like, there was a tutorial? You didn't even show me that. Okay, I well, got- that's not a bad user experience. Yeah. That's just a bad friendship. Yeah, that's right. That's what it is. <laughs> Alex was the tutorial. Well, it is. Uh- <laughs> It is still an early access, isn't it? Yeah, so it is. It is. I mean, it's, is it I'm not. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I'm not. I'm not bagging it's it. Like, it's a great game, but it, you know, it's so much yeah. fun. Just maybe they will take feedback, and maybe they will. Yeah, we should. I didn't realize it was still in. You're right. Development preview. Is oh, it? Yeah, I know it has been for ages, like a couple of years now. Yeah. Oh my god, mm. that's cool to know. Um. Okay. All right. We have time for another Costa one. Yeah. Do you want to? What do you want to go, John? Do you want me to go? This one kind of ties into the other one. So, yeah. All right. Go for it, Costa. So, uh, again, from the same website. (laughs) Um, I really like this website, but it was around six key tools to help break into the game industry. I'll go pretty quick through them because we don't have a lot of time. But um, number one, passion for gaming. Number two, quality educators. Uh, number three, uh, networking opportunities. Four, real world experience. Five, experience and knowledge using cutting edge technology. Six, creativity. Uh, and yeah, those those are it. So those are basically points that this. Uh, and again, don't, this article is presented by a university. Okay, so it's quite biased. Um, uh, but again, what are your thoughts in terms of? Uh, how you three got started in, let's say, the games industry or in a field related to the games industry. Um, and, yeah, what are some qualities or tools that helped break you, you know what's, into the game industry? You know industry? what's funny? Um, if you look at the link, the title is Six Key Tools to Help Break into am I going to get flagged for clicking this link? <laughs> um, but yeah. What? Sorry, what was the question, Cos? <laughs> uh, well, how did... So these, these are six key tools that they mentioned that help break into the industry, like, you know, passion for gaming and quality educators and uh, networking. Like having a network essentially will help you get into um, the games industry, you know, having some real world experience, whether it's you've built something or done something like that, Um, having experience of, or having, you know, demonstrating creativity or demonstrating um, experience using, let's say, new technology in this context could be, you know, a VR headset to do some project. Basically, these are just saying these are ways that you could get into the games industry by demonstrating certain things. Um, where did, from your or personal experiences, get your start in the games industry? I'm pretty pretty broad there, but um, or in a field that is related to the games industry. Um, and I got mine from Alex. So <laughs> so Alex can start off, and then I I hooked Wait, what from it. Um, right in the coat tail. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, my, I think it was my first paid project oh, in the right. video games oh, industry yeah, right. was your project. <laughs> yeah, was- right. Oh, shit. Um, well, you built I, John. 
Alexi dooms him up. He brought <laughs> him into this. I made him who he is. Yeah, he did. I, he owes you everything. Alex, <laughs> pull, Alex pulled me up by my bootstraps. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> if I had anything to do with the way John thinks, I would be incredibly honoured. Um, I disagree with number one right off the bat. Mm. Um, that was literally the first thing that my lecturer told us on day one. He was like, yeah, he was a tough teacher, but um, he was right. He was like, if, if you're here because you like games... I mean, in kind of words, get out. Yeah. yeah, he was like, you're going to slow us down. He's like, it, making <laughs> games and playing games are way different things. And I don't have oh, a passion man. for games. I, I like building games <laughs> and I like game art, but I don't like so much playing games. Like, it's cool. I don't have anything Except against for Phasmagoria. Phasmophobia. Oh, Phasmophobia, sorry. I don't have a passion for games, um, for gaming, so I should say. Um, and I don't think you need that to make games I, well it depends what role you play in games so I, I did a game art course so that should be stipulated i did a game art course and for game art you don't need a passion for games. sure it helps mm. um but it's yeah i don't i don't think you need that i think out of all of them uh to quality educators yeah that's that was very important to me um networking opportunities yeah definitely especially in adelaide um because like we're like a big country town but we have the opportunities that like a big city town has but if you just just by doing it or knowing of the software they're like cool can you help us out on this project um real world experience yeah yeah that that's good uh experience and knowledge using cutting yeah that's important and yeah all of them I think are important except for passion. I think you could leave out passion for gaming. I think that's mm. I think they put that in number 1 to kind of lure people into that article mm-hmm. number yeah. five i don't think is is necessary either experience and knowledge using cutting edge technology like you can design games on paper mm. you can design games yeah. in your mm-hmm. head yeah. you don't you mm-hmm. don't need that i mean again this I is all these- this is all sponsored by a university that's probably trying to um <laughs> right, promote certain okay. things but yeah <laughs> so you don't we don't it have is. to agree with everything it says I, I always find the whole like how to break into x industry like Whenever I've been in that industry, I've looked back and gone like that whole thing is just weird. <laughs> it's yeah. a yeah. Of, often like there's no such thing as breaking into an industry. Mm. It's like you're already doing it and you make friends with people who are also doing it, and then suddenly you're in the industry. It's yeah. like it's a, it's not really this. Yeah. Hard. At what point are you in the industry, right? Like yeah. yeah, and especially in games where you can make so much stuff yourself, it, it's kind of like mm. you just like I think the whole having experience helps a lot. Uh, because if you've made stuff, awesome. But then that means when you meet other people who also make stuff, you have that point of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if it's a studio, awesome. I guess they're a studio. Then you're. But you know, if you're if you're surrounded by other indie devs, are you in the industry? If you're making money, then yes. <laughs> that's we, where the yeah. uh, I think the um, that's 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 why the game industry is so unique, right? Because like if you change the word industry to community. It's cool yeah. within the games context, but then it's incredibly toxic in like the accounting uh, <laughs> area of being like, yeah, the accounting community. And you're like, I don't want to go home and think about these people. Oh, like, this is my I'm job. I'm curious. What comes up when you Google how to break into the accounting industry? Because <laughs> I'm very Be really good that. at numbers. Yeah. Buy a calculator at a young age. <laughs> It'd probably be what, like, what, passion? Surely not passion for accounting. <laughs> Dob on your friends in primary Passion school. For- <laughs> 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 uh, 
thing I could found was like Cura. There was no real articles. The best thing I could find was a question on Cura. Oh, How do I break into the oh. field of accounting slash auditing? Network. Uh, accountants are usually employees of the company for which they work, whereas auditors are often hired from the, an outside firm to verify the accuracy of the accountant's work. All right, well, <laughs> there you go. You've, you've got it there, there folks. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. Sorry, Susie, what were you going to say? Um, I was going to say, wow, I remember it. I'm so proud. I'm proud of you too. I was going to say, you I mentioned before, John, about making money, right? Like you said, that maybe something about being in the industry when you make money. Well, yeah, and that's I mean, an interesting point because, like, I guess by definition, oh, I don't even know by definition. And industry yeah. is the mm. the commercial aspect of it. Having said that, I mean, people who are making games and releasing them for free, and these games could be having like a big mm. influence on other people in the yeah. industry. Mm. Are they also in the industry? And what about people who haven't released a title yet? Are they also in the industry? Mm. Like if they're working on a game? Mm. Really well, I guess yeah. I mean, if they're a student. Yeah. I, guess if we, yeah. I mean, if we take the approach, like let's say that they're talking about in this context, industry being uh, getting a job at a game studio. Okay. That's, I mean, that's quite a, like, I think that's quite unique. And we've spoken about it on, on, on the podcast before. It's quite a unique industry in that way where there's a lot of people going for roles and, and maybe there's not a lot of studios where you live or, where you are, so it can get quite competitive. Um, so I wonder if, in that context, what what would help you, let's say, stand out to um, get a get a but role. See, in, in that context, though, you should probably look at like the studios or the studios you want to work for, and look at what work they do, mm, mm-hmm. and then that's good advice. Yeah, be able to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Because if you want to get hired at a studio, you basically have to bring value to and be able to do what they need yeah that's right yeah uh, uh, i think like the yeah. answer to all of these right for designers is just make games like all of these things mm, like yeah. they don't matter just make games mm. make the games you want to make yeah that's right that if yeah. you make games you're a game designer yep, that's right yeah that's it, right 100 percent. yeah yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you said something as well like that john before like with the music of like like when you're doing the drum and bass like you have to just make it yeah, I mean, well, that's. A, I'll try not to go into drum and bass because that's a, a whole community to itself. But um, mm-hmm. I, I think one reason I'm being almost cynical about this is because I, to me, it kind of reflects like when people say how to be a successful mm. game designer. Yep, yep. It's like at what point are you successful? And it's like people who you almost have to kind of come up with that answer yourself because mm. otherwise you never reach a point where you're like, oh, I'm finally successful. Kind of yeah yeah especially if you're in the creative field because you're constantly having to learn i mean and it's it's interesting because if you read the nitty-gritty i mean it's all really promoting the this university which is a, a great university from what i've heard f- full sale mm. for um games game development and game design um but even then, like you could go through that entire process and at the end of it, if you're looking for a certain thing, an outcome, like trying to get a job at a game studio, it doesn't guarantee that you'll, you'll do that. Like it's the passion that you have, you know, the application and like just going out and doing it is, is uh, yeah. I would say like even, even in the context of design, if you've designed things before, like from a web designer, if you've gone and made websites or done designs, like 
you could go through university or go through um, a course like that where or like a boot camp or anything where you've got like a small portfolio but unless you go out and you know you show initiative that you've done certain things especially in the competitive uh, industry um, I feel like yeah once you've got a bit of a bit more experience in in demonstrating what you've done outside of of that I feel like that that helps a lot with um, finding a role especially just to start with mm. I see it as like yeah because I think they got that listed as as number four which is the having it they call it the real world experience mm. and I think as opposed to the last article they were just talking about in that sense of just you know having experience with life but they're talking about experience of making the thing mm. I see it as like every mistake that you could make kind of like if as a 3d modeler or something like that exists on a metaphorical conveyor belt that has to kind of pass through and fall down a chute that is your brain and to your hands and then out and there's no way around that like you have to just do it make the mistakes <laughs> like you're doing john with the, the the drum and bass you have to make those mistakes and then start getting through to the good stuff but mm. that still exists on that conveyor belt i like that mm. analogy Thanks. Mm. It, feels like, it feels like a Mario Party minigame. Yeah, I was just going to say it feels like some kind of minigame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, yeah it, you have to make those mistakes. Um, there's certain mistakes that people can tell you to avoid and you will avoid mm. them. Mm. Um, I think those are like easy ones to make. And that, this is the same in life as well. I think in life, it's like when it, when it comes to money, you can invite, you could give someone advice on until you're blue in the face. But they're still going to make that mistake. So for in our world, it would be like charging clients. Like everyone who's done contract work got told by some kind of mentor, this is how much to charge. And then when you came around to it, you were like, I don't have the guts to charge that much. And then you got ripped off and you now know what that feels like. And you go, I won't make that mistake again. There are certain ones on that conveyor belt that you can't, you just can't blow off. Like yeah, they you will happen to, to you. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, how, how do you guys feel about... Um, I guess inspired by this um, rather than saying, all right, breaking into the industry, how about calling yourself a game developer? And let's say for someone who's never m finished a game before or never made a game before, um, if they have started working on their own pro project or they know they want to make games, if they at least to themselves said, I am a game developer, um, it, is that helpful for their growth to kind of have that, identity first before they make the game or do they have to I have made so. the game to be able to call themselves a game developer i think so in in um my classes like in the first year game design we design a little game like and that can be something like run from one side of the room to the other with the obstacles what are the rules and when you've designed that game i say you're a game designer mm. that's who oh, you that's are now. awesome you're a game designer, right yeah because that's, that, that's really it cool. then you've got that got that you're over that hurdle well. you, yeah. you're yeah, you, you've got that, cause that, and that's what it is, right? You've designed a game. Technically, you are a designer. Like, yeah, yeah. You don't have to worry about it. You're not fighting it. You're not going, oh, I'm not going to be good enough. I'm not going to ship this huge yeah. title that I'm working on that's going to take me three years because you designed the floor game. That's so cool. That's actually just, like, stunned me. Like, that's so cool. Like, just get them <laughs> to smash one out straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah because it doesn't have to be this, like, people always have this conception, like, preconception of, like, a triple-A game that they've played on their Xbox, yep. and they're like, I have to build this to be a designer, or I have yeah, to work on this no, to be right. a designer. 
And, and that's yeah. the AI, right? That's that's your brain being fed saying, oh, that's what a game is. I'll just spit that back out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you're not thousands of people that's and you're right. not many years. Yeah, that's right. yeah. You're one person. That's right. And if you've, you know, made the floor game or if you've been a GM and made a narrative, like if you've homebrewed a, a narrative, you're a game designer. Like, it's just all this stuff. Like, And if everyone at Square Enix waited until they had finished Final Fantasy to call <laughs> themselves a game designer, then it would have never happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and nobody designs that first. Nobody yeah, designed that's right. Final Fantasy first. They had to design the floor game first, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Ah, oh, good. John. Do we have time for out. one more? I think we All right. what, uh, what are we Let's at? go. Yeah, let's do yeah, it. Check uh, it out. <laughs> speaking about... Oh, I've got to think of a segue, don't I? Um, speaking of floor games, uh, floors are something that are quite slippery and the word slippery oh. sounds like the mod slippy. <laughs> that was that was a stretch. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, we're talking about video game mods. <laughs> Thanks I'm getting, for clarifying. I'm getting daggers from my partner at the moment. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah we're talking about video game mods um, and I got this from uh, one article which was by Nick Speranza at the Boston University um, Daily Free Press it was an opinion piece um, he was talking about why uh, modding brings value to video games um, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll read out an excerpt from that and I'll read out an excerpt from another article so um, Nick was saying in quote um, Nintendo Nintendo recently directed their ire at a mod that added online connectivity and quality of life changes to Super Smash Bros. Millie, uh, which you might remember was from the GameCube. Um, this mod called Slippy, there's the tangent, um, <laughs> was specifically for copies of the game which were emulated on a computer, which is technically piracy and therefore grounds for Nintendo to issue legal warnings to tournaments using Slippy. Uh, but if you look at the larger context, um, it sounds like a counterintuitive move because um, Melee was never meant to run on computers, only the GameCube console. But the GameCube is over 20 years old and Nintendo hasn't burned any new Melee discs in a very long time. So they're not actually losing any money on that. Um, wow. So that's talking about how Nintendo kind of cracks down on that kind of thing. Um, now, if we look at another article uh, on Medium from uh, Rishav Mehdi, um, he's talking about Counter-Strike, how Counter-Strike was originally a mod from the famous alien shooter game Half-Life. Uh, few gamers develop or developers wanted to create a uh, small terrorist versus police game in the Half-Life map, and this is how Counter-Strike was born. People loved the mod so much that it caught the interest of Valve, um, who were the developers of Half-Life, in case our audience didn't already know that. <laughs> um, and they then went on to use that mod to create the game uh, with Valve that we know today. And now Counter-Strike is one of the most popular games in online gaming and the esports scene. So you've got two polar opposite uh, reactions from developers to their games being modded. Um, and I guess I'll just throw in there as well. Um, we also have other games which I would suggest thrive from their modding scene, um, if you look at Sky, like games like Skyrim, mm. um, have been going for a long time um, and have thousands of mods. Um, I play a racing game called Ballistic NG, which is kind of a futuristic racer, which almost relies on the community making new courses and new 
uh, cars to drive and stuff like that. Um, and they openly basically say, please make stuff mm. for the game. So, mm. so what do you guys think? Um, as both gamers and as developers, um, what are your thoughts from both sides of that coin? So. Um, I yeah, I uh, I like it if uh, like if it was a game I wasn't involved in, I love it. Um, <laughs> and if it was a game I was involved in, I would like. I mean, I well, you can't fight it. That's the one thing. Right? So there's no point not liking it. I would just want to make sure that, like, if I was the, if it was a small game and I was the sole artist on it and the mod grew bigger that, actually, as I'm saying it, I'm changing my mind. No, I'm cool with it in, in whatever, yeah. whatever capacity. Yeah. I, th- I think from like a. I think if you're. Oh, go on, go on, sorry, I need No, no, you go, you go. <laughs> Um, I was just going to say, as a walking simulator person, right, I have to be cool with it, like, because yeah. we wouldn't have had Dear Esther, and then we wouldn't have had walking simulators, right? Um, mm. But, like, I can't see, like, like it's, if you're if you're a dev, like, if you're a dev and you've got limited time or limited knowledge in an area, it's like, jump in, learn that thing, mm. that what you need to do to mod that, and then you can do that, right? So, mm. you don't have to learn the whole engine from scratch, you learn the, the modding levels. Um, I haven't done it, but there's, like... Uh, as far as I remember, with uh, the Quake engine, you used to be able to do those. There was like a level editor type thing that you did, mm. like target or tangents, something like that. Um, and so it was a lot less to learn than learning the whole engine from scratch. So it got you started quicker. So I can't see. Also, we wouldn't have Portal. So mm. yeah. <laughs> also, another Valve one. Yeah. Well, another, another yeah. one is even even uh, uh, Gary's mod. Which is literally called also Gary's another mod, <laughs> which is but again built. Yeah. It's okay from Half-Life. These are all built from uh, yeah. Half-Life, and now that that single mod has turned that uh, solo developer into a company, and then now they're working on I think their their second iteration of that, which is uh, Sandbox. So it spawns and like it creates entire companies based on modding a game. Um, I think I think the approach is just based on the the temperament of the of the company, um, Nintendo being quite controlling with you know artistic vision and that kind of stuff. They probably just see it as like they want to control the narrative on everything and protect the IP of their characters. Um, yeah. And 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 maybe because Melee is huge in the esports scene, um, and I and I wouldn't be surprised if they see that as taking away from Smash Brothers, the new Smash Brothers, which is you know they want to push as the esports um thing but you can't control what people play if people want to play the old one for competitive purposes they'll play that um but i think modding is a is a good one for like as a as a from a business perspective you're you get to keep your game relevant and people keep purchasing mm, it yeah. because there's content that you're not wondering. even you're not even touching the game anymore and it's just constantly generating content um over and over i th- i think uh hacknet also has mods um, which has kept the yeah. game. I think uh, I can't remember his name, but developer was Matribiani. Matribiani, yeah. He mentioned yeah. that you know the game is kept alive because people keep making mods and uh, keep extending the game game out. And even broader, I think you can look at uh, games like Roblox and say that that's a derivative of of you know this sam like initial modding and people just extending the game in whatever way they've literally built a platform for people to to then do that so yeah i think modding is can be good it just depends on the on the company and if they're comfortable with that happening as a as a business model 
And the ongoing plans. That's yeah. what I think you got up there. When you said the ongoing yeah. plan things, that made me think, okay, Nintendo, mm. like they have ongoing plans. They don't want those disrupted. Like they don't want that market touch. But other people who maybe just release the game and don't mind those mm. mm-hmm. changes, that can be the ongoing plan for yeah. that, right? And I wonder if it's like the size of the company as well. Like, you know, you could have an indie developer um, like Matt with, with Hacknet who – they don't have the resources to keep building and extending games, uh, you know, life, uh, you know, keep extending it. Whereas a company like Nintendo, they probably eventually want to, I don't know, do some kind of melee remake. So, you know, modding is uh, in that context, maybe actually eating up their future plans and, and, and market of re-releasing the game. Well, that that's actually an interesting one because like I'm definitely not a competitive player, but um, I have friends who are quite into it. And I know a lot of people still play um, Super Smash Bros. Uh, melee because they actually enjoy the physics of it and mm. the speed of it more than they enjoy the newer ones. Mm. And so you've got a case there where the, this section of the audience, the competitive section, is actually choosing what you previously did because they don't like the new direction that mm-hmm. you're taking things. So. Nintendo actively holds... Because it's not just your friends. like It's um, the whole community, like all those championships, like unofficial... Smash Brothers championships are based around Melee and Nintendo have actively pulled the plug on like charity matches and stuff like that because yeah. they go because the game they want to push as their esports game is um, Splatoon. Splatoon yeah. And oh really? Yeah. Nintendo are the worst at being like if, it's not yeah. happening dude. If Nintendo, if, Nintendo, <laughs> if Nintendo could stop you from playing that game once they want you to stop playing it they would do it in some way you know and that's yeah that's a scary precedent to set because what about when games go digital like completely digital if you have smash brothers and then uh 10 years from now nintendo goes all right cool uh digital services are down which is it's already happened and they go no yeah they did it with splatoon one yeah like we don't want you to play this anymore it's done we've wrapped it up and and that's it and then you can't play the game that you purchased even though you wanted to and, and Nintendo it's, it's, does it because they want to re-release another one or do something else down the line. Yeah. And it, it's it's like when, um, like, if you want to use, like, Facebook or whatever's logo mm-hmm. on your site, you can go to Facebook and they will give you the AI files and the vector files for, this, for the reason of we would rather give you the real one so you don't butcher our logo by making your yeah. own gross thing. That's, like, what ROMs are like. Like... <laughs> All right, Nintendo, you're giving us no choice. We're going to play Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time on a high-res displays that are going to show all the janky stuff you did because you won't put out a newer version of it, you know? Yeah. Now they have. Now they have. Well, they put out the HD remake there, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that and then they put out the um, the Switch uh, online. Oh, yeah, the Nintendo online stuff. Mm. Yeah, which yeah, yeah. comes up every few episodes because it's still buggy. And it's you know what's hilarious is so many Nintendo games you break the code down on and of like these re-releases it turns out they're just running mods to the um, not mods um emulation emulators oh, really? yeah. yeah to the point that there's one i was watching a did you know gaming on recently one nintendo game i'm pretty sure it's nintendo like an old snes game it is it is it's somewhere in the warrior where i think something like that it's not only is it running an emulator they just did this like weird screen grab and it picked up the desktop behind it that they because they did a screen recording of an emulator and they picked up the developer's computer in the background and shipped wow. it inside of, I think, WarioWare. Oh, my gosh. That's so, uh, they even use emulation. Yep. But I, wow. I, I can't think of any <laughs> Nintendo game that really has mods in any way. It's usually like computer games, isn't it? I haven't... Um, yeah. A Mario, I, I, I was watching a Halo Mario Kart uh, Wii 
mod where they had different Master Chiefs on the back, but that's probably more a Halo mod <laughs> yeah. to have. No, but I mean, like, has Nintendo ever officially supported? Like allowed it? Yeah, or allowed mods? <laughs> I don't uh, think so. I don't. Uh, okay, <laughs> uh, this is a this is a stretch, yeah. but uh, F Zero X, the futuristic racing game, back game. on Nintendo sixty four. <laughs> so, um, the other day, I discovered have you guys heard of the nintendo dd yep disc yeah. drive yeah yeah so yeah. it's like the expansion for the nintendo 64 yeah. which played discs um and it expanded out games um <laughs> was never 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 released yeah. here <laughs> um released in japan for a short time and then yeah um so this game f0x apparently had an expansion i didn't find out until about oh. uh, over the weekend i um, mean that expansion had a a a car creator in it and a course creator mm. in it and you could then share those courses with friends not through the internet because you couldn't do that on Nintendo 64 you would have your expansion disc in and then you would do a hot swap with their expansion disc your friend's expansion disc and it would copy the files over and uh, share it that way good on them for trying um, back then with that technology to do that kind yeah of thing. Mm. <laughs> They, they probably did have an online thing though, because they had a modem that you could in Japan that you could plug into a controller port. Yeah, I think you, I think they did. So they, yeah, it was possible. Because so. they were they were they were working with the on, uh, idea of online gaming as well, but like it, it yep. obviously didn't work because it was too slow. But yeah, yeah I've heard of that, like disk drive using that for modding, and they're like put your face on it and things like that. Yeah. So I mean, I guess that's not really mod, like modding, but <laughs> but at least you have like the in-game hmm. kind of. Uh, way for people to, yeah for people players to create content Super Mario Maker mm. but that's not really mods but that's probably like that level of user generated content yeah yeah so what yeah. would you so yeah good. what would you call a mod I don't know what's the a mod usually mm. uh, usually is it, lets is you it, import your own assets yeah it's, it's, or yeah, change the actual Mod like game modification of some kind Modify have any of you ever made a mod has anyone ever made a mod? I was working uh, on one uh, ages ago. Yes, but, yeah. back back for the game Dink Smallwood on PC. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> it, it's a lot. It's a lot more harmless than it sounds. <laughs> oh my god! It, it was a. It's a fantasy like kind of Zelda clone. Um, that's one guy made. Um, and the whole thing's just a joke. Like the the developer made himself the final boss. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but they included a scripting language called Dink C, oh, wow. <laughs> which which you oh, can use wow. to write your own mods, um, and that is actually how I learnt programming. That's cool. Oh, wow. That is so cool. What yeah. did your mod do? I never got that far. I think I just gave myself like infinite health and be able to shoot <laughs> <Yeah>. out fireballs. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's cool. What was the mod you were working on, Cluster? Uh, I worked on a mod on uh, Gary's mod. A mod yeah. on the mod, um, oh, nice. which was, uh, again, I'm a huge Stargate fan. I was trying to make a Stargate deathmatch, essentially, which was, like, between different factions and you would have, like, um, you know, you it was it was utilizing another, it, again, it was utilizing another mod, but you would essentially travel to, like, different planets and, you know, battle things out. Um, cool. And I had a friend who was working on, like, the maps and creating all the maps and that kind of wow. stuff. And I was just, again, That's cool. it's when I really kind of started programming and uh, learned, I think it was Lua. It was like a Lua file oh, yeah. as you would write. Um, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think we've finished it, but we, we, yeah, worked on it and it was good, good experience. So, yeah. That's awesome. I made one for The Sims 3 once. Ooh. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
it was it was really lame it was <laughs> all it did is you you chose an item and then you it was like a recolor but it was just an overlay so you could just put in any hex code and it would overlay that over your your uh, item that's so cool. like yeah, you can make your it. furniture kind of match because yeah. you could put an overlay on it that's so cool <laughs> that is cool how did you uh oh, what was cool. the script like did you have to script that how did that work yeah i must have i can't remember <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Sims, it can't Sims. have been hard because I'm a terrible coder. That's so. <laughs> uh, so cool. I remember making like custom clothes for The Sims 2. That's as far as my uh, modding yeah, went. I made like fun. for some in reason. Photoshop? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in Photoshop. Yeah. You could just get the skin files. And instead of doing something like, which just sums me up as a person, instead of doing something like amazing and cool i'm like oh, i'm gonna make the outfits from the usual suspects <laughs> that's cool see that is that cool, is cool. Uh, it's, it's cool what i did was just cut out bands and put them on t-shirts <laughs> yeah that, that's way cooler i love when, I, I took a yeah. i love when people used to rip uh, this was very common back in the day like they would rip skins out of one game and then put it into another game like i remember there was like <laughs> oh, you, know, yeah, you could play as some fighter from some game in like Grand Theft Auto and you'd run around as that yep. fighter and like like Ryu or something from some other like from Street Fighter and you'd run around as Ryu in, in Grand Theft Auto. They used to be so common doing things like that. Yeah. yeah. Well what actually started me looking at this article was I saw a video, people figured out how to mod God of War and someone put Master Chief in God of War <laughs> as the first enemy that you fight. Oh well. Um oh. over um, I can't remember wow. the guy's name, but like the villain in God of War. Invincible I was going to say they didn't, yeah. they didn't replace that that one year sculpt of uh, <laughs> Kratos, did they? Kratos. Yeah. Yeah. That would just be awful. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, more we could say about that, but looking at the time, we should probably wrap mm. this up tonight. Um, but yeah. first, we need a question for our audience. Oof. So. All right. If we look over the articles we've discussed tonight, we've talked about uh, John McEnroe getting angry at himself. I mean, playing tennis with himself. <laughs> uh, Susanna was talking about uh, the French officials um, pushing the French language for uh, words like streamer. Uh, but hon is allowed. Hon hon. Costa was talking about uh, the Gamma Sutra articles about um, things you can do to become a better game designer or how to break into the games industry. Um, and we were talking about modding games just then. So what should we ask our audience? Uh, I don't know. Like, just keep it simple. Be like, what are, what are some of the mods that you've worked on? Or, or what's mods you've worked yeah. on or what's a mod you would like to see get made? That would be cool. Okay, like, yeah. tell us, A, the coolest mod you've played and B, the coolest mod you've worked on. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then people can share those mods legally, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm, my my son, my kid keeps modding Hello Neighbor. I think that's a big one oh, yeah. now. Really? Mm. What does he mod it to? Uh, like last I saw, he was making it look like Roblox. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. I don't oh know why God. he would that ever so want better. that. But. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, isn't there a Roblox Hello Neighbor? Can't you rebuild it in? It's like, all right. You paid real money for those the Roblox money, haven't you? And now he's just making it in another program. That is so funny. 
All right. On that note, <laughs> we will see you guys next fortnight. Um, cool. And yeah, keep your eyes out for these mods. Um, otherwise, have a good fortnight. <laughs> see ya. See ya. Bye. Bye. Cafe Bullions is hosted in Adelaide, South Australia. If you know of anything happening or would like to reach out to us or have a chat, you can find us on Twitter at LiveBullions or by emailing us at hello at LiveBullions.com.